Like I said, we'll be in John chapter 5, focusing on the kind of the second half, more to the middle. Why do we celebrate Christmas? I don't have to look around very far to see the consumerism and commercialism surrounding the Christmas season, right? Entire financial forecasts are developed with how much we spend around this time of year. As Christians, we've heard a lot of encouragement regarding the allure or the warning of getting so wrapped up in Christmas that we forget the reason for the season, right? In response to culture, many of us have worked pretty hard then to avoid a worldly celebration of Christmas. So we cut back on gifts and limit presents and minimize decorations or shopping trips, etc. But you, but every year our kids and years past have braced themselves for the next thing that we're not going to do in order not to miss Christmas. But even with good intentions, I think we get caught in that and sometimes we can miss the point. We get so hung up in not celebrating Christmas like the world does that we can simply be in reaction to our culture rather than acting out of solid biblical reasoning. Why do we celebrate Christmas? We strive to avoid doing this or spending like that or depaganizing our traditions or avoiding selfishness or trying to guard our kids against materialism or avoiding the world etc etc but whether we're succumbing to culture or reacting to culture what's still in our focus what's still informing our celebration culture so we leave one ditch only to cross over the road into the another one we pat ourselves on the back for the ways We avoid the material or the secular vein of Christmas. But our minds are just as preoccupied with just now what we're not about. Rather than on a true celebration of Jesus. It's really good for us church to pause and remember. Why do we celebrate Christmas? We're in John's Gospel. We're going to be in particular verses 18 through 29. And the main point we're going to see in the section is found in verse 24. As we move through the section, we're going to see six reasons why we celebrate Christmas. And each of these six reasons for celebrating Christmas are going to point to this main point. Here's the main point. Look at verse 24, chapter 5. Truly, truly, and remember, this is Jesus completely reorganizing thinking. This is an audacious statement he's getting ready to make. It's one that's even self-generated. Here's a truth that I am bringing to you. Whoever hears my words and believes, him who sent me has eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Merry Christmas. 
Before we head into our passage in particular, we're going to back up and get some context. That's verse 24. Starting in the beginning of part of chapter 5, there's an event where Jesus has just healed a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. He's been hanging around this pool that bubbles and churns and people jump in. Many of you have heard the story before. But the longevity of his problem, 38 years, his public display that he's been at this pool for a very long time is all evidence that John wants to make sure that we know this man could not have possibly faked this illness. Jesus miraculously heals this man and then charges him to pick up his bed and walk. And the problem in the passage is that this healing and this bed carrying was on the Sabbath. And what Jesus told the man to do was not actually breaking Sabbath law, but the tradition, an oral tradition, a man-made law that was aimed at helping people to obey the Sabbath. So the religious leaders are incensed that this healer would break a law. Completely missing right? That this man who was unable to walk without hope is now walking. And so at the end of this section, and all this, we read this, verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. The statement, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why in verse 18, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, to kill Jesus. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So a little bit more historical context, it's pretty helpful here. Jewish history, before Christ, around the time, I don't know, but this was kind of on the books as one of their official agreements, one of their official revelations. There was an argument among rabbis. By the way, I found the same argument. Uh, online, uh, modern, I don't know what I'd call them scholars, maybe theological hacks, this whole thread about how could God command rest and yet not actually rest? Why would Jesus do things purposely on the Sabbath in order to incense people? So there's all this going on, but nothing's new under the sun. This is the same argument, same discussion they were having 2,000 years ago. And these rabbis are wondering, how could God possibly say he rested on the seventh day when we know that he holds the entire universe together? How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? One of those kind of conversations. And so for years they debated and they discussed, how could God say this and yet still do this? How could he actually say he rested and yet he feeds the people manna? Isn't that work? So their own laws are bunging themselves up. They can't get unclogged. 
So eventually they concluded, and I don't, they must have formed this into an official statement, but here was their conclusion. God in his singular authoritative and infinite ability was able to keep and maintain and uphold the entire universe while still not breaking the Sabbath law. And what enrages the Pharisees to a murderous froth is that Jesus actually quotes this statement, their rule, back to them. And so when he says, my father is working now and I am working, he's actually restating their conclusion back to them. And in a sense, what he's saying is, God is keeping and maintaining and upholding the universe and I am doing the same thing right alongside of him. And they're ready to kill him. If you've not had a conversation uh, with somebody who has told you that Jesus doesn't actually claim anywhere in the Bible to be God, then you, you, you will at some point in time. P- people make that claim for two reasons. One, they simply don't know the Bible. Or two, there is a spiritual war going on and a spiritual blindness over who Jesus really is. Spurgeon once said that wisdom is not discerning right from wrong. True wisdom is discerning right from almost right. And while some, the Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, will claim that Jesus wasn't equal with God, he doesn't claim to be that he is so bold in this section about his equality with God that those who understood what he was saying were ready to kill him for it. And not only does he claim it in just this one spot, which is often where the argument goes, but in every successive verse after, six times in particular, Christ restates the reality of his equality with God the Father. It's over and over in the Gospels. But just like this story that we just heard about the pool and this man being healed and the resistance to the truth of Scripture regarding Jesus' claim to deity, it's Just like people saw what took place and yet still did not believe, it's not a lack of proof, it's a lack of belief. Jesus' proclamation that He is God, it's all over the Scriptures, and seeing it is not a lack of proof, it's a lack of belief. So again, in this section, not only does He state His equality with the Father once, but he goes on to assert that same truth six times. And so in other words, for our purposes, in John's Gospel, in verses chapter 5, 18 through 24, we're given six reasons that we should joyfully celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ. 
Before we read the story, I want to give us an analogy that might help us understand why Jesus talks the way he does with these men, these people who are struggling with unbelief. So many of you know, a few years ago, I started a construction company. This is mostly true. There's a little bit of allegory in here, but just by way of illustration. So I started a construction pump company. I got online. I filled out the legal paperwork. I got a federal ID number. I got all my stuff handed into the state. I secured my business name. I went down to the courthouse in Brown County. I registered my business. I paid for a license. I got all my paperwork submitted. On all my paperwork, I was the sole proprietor, the owner. I purchased a truck. I lettered it. I filled it with tools. I hired some help. Right, JP? I registered with the Chamber of Commerce. They had a public ribbon-cutting ceremony. My family was there. We publicly cut the ribbon. They took pictures. They put it in the newspaper, stating, this is Rob Basosa, the owner of... It was a public notification. Now, let's say during this whole time that there was a group of men in this process, and they were following my progress. They scrutinized my documents, they looked over my receipts, they followed up with my customers, they went on jobs after I submitted bids, then they went when I finished, they saw before and afters, they collected newspaper clippings, and upon a completion of one of my projects, I get the check from my customer with my name on it, their house looks a lot different than when I got there, and I turn to go back, and one of these guys is standing by my truck, and he asks me this question as I approach my truck, are you the business owner? How would you answer that? He's been there. He's been watched this whole process. He knows. He's seen the documents. He's seen the before and afters. How do you respond to that? Well, one thing, you can say, yes, yes, I'm the owner, you idiot. You know better and get in your truck and leave. Or I could review all the ways that I I know this, the ways this man knows. Why, not just that I am, but why I'm the business owner. I've been given authority by the federal government, by the state, by my county. I have employees. I've got pictures. I've got receipts. I've got on and on. As we read, this is kind of similar to the process that John captures, that Jesus uses to convey his deity once again to people who are hard to listen The Pharisees have been scrutinizing Jesus' every move. He's been doing these things in public. They have all the proof they need, yet they still willfully refuse to believe that he's the owner. But in his loving, truthful ways... He enunciates very clearly once again to these Pharisees and then also to all of those in earshot. And then John captures it and it even rings now down through history to our own ears that we might know that He is indeed God. That we might believe and that we might have eternal life. It's good news, church. 
And so in his response, we're going to see these six affirmations of who he is, his deity. And when we see these affirmations, this gives us reason for us to go, why is it that we celebrate Christmas? This is why we celebrate Christmas. So let's read John chapter 5, verse 19. I'm going to back up, grab a hold of our context that we just read, and then keep moving forward. Verse 16, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now, try to keep in mind just my analogy of owning a business and having so many details, and then now how Jesus talks to the the Pharisees and the crowd, and how he communicates exactly who he is. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these He will show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to all all whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come in the judgment, but he has passed from death to life. And now this is almost like a summary of what he just said. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So six reasons we should celebrate Church, really celebrate Christmas. Six reasons why we shouldn't be reacting to culture or we shouldn't to succumb to it either. Verse 19, Jesus says, The Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. The first reason that we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus and the Father are one and the same and yet different. He's God. 
We talked a lot about this last week. Jesus revealed the Father's character. He and the Father have existed eternally together. And they function in complete unity with one another. We have the benefit of the Scripture to begin grasping a little bit better this doctrine or this understanding of God existing as three persons. you got to remember, to some degree, that is a fairly new concept of what's happening here as Jesus talks about His relationship with the Father. So He's explaining, to some degree, what's happening and what His relationship is with the Father. So, One of the commentaries says that Jesus doesn't just exert that He is God, but that He is God who is also connected in relationship to God the Father. There's a trifold relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit. And so in some ways, Jesus is helping them and trying to help them understand exactly what this relationship looks like. And that He is indeed God, but that He's in partnership with the Father and the Spirit. Now everyone has this same information, and regardless of the fact that maybe this is a somewhat of a new clarification, even though we see portions of this in the Old Testament, the Pharisees didn't believe. They couldn't fathom Him being God, being wrapped up in this man, Jesus. But not all the Pharisees disbelieved. right? Because there was one, Paul, who did believe. And he got this, and so he would say to the Colossians, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He believed. And also did the writer of Hebrews who said, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of His power. If you see, church, Jesus isn't just talking about His relationship with the Father. He is declaring Himself to be God with the Father. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus and the Father are one and the same, and yet different. The second reason we celebrate Christmas, verse 20, is because Jesus and the Father work in loving unison so that we might know He is true. So Jesus says, for the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing Jesus perceives the Father's work and His purpose in every moment in this world and then joins Him. And the reason for this collaboration and all the release of these gifts and miracles is so that people might know Jesus is Himself God and that they might follow Him so that they might know He is true. Later in John's Gospel, John will say, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I am doing nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, 
for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Or later in verse, in chapter 12, verse 49. Again, John records Jesus. I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the third clarification of Jesus saying, I and the Father work completely in conjunction together. If you got mad that I say my Father is working till now and I am working, you're going to get madder. Because what He says, what He whispers to me, I say in public. And I have no ability to say anything other than what is expressed in His will. And again, the third clear statement of Jesus' equality with God. Second, I meant, sorry, point three, reason three, verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. The third reason we celebrate Christmas church is because Jesus has authority to raise the dead to life. In case you're sleeping, that's us. Amen. We talked about this last week as John talked to Nicod- as Jesus talked to Nicodemus when the son of man is lifted up. And here again in John chapter 8 Jesus says when you have lifted up the son of man then you will know that I am he. They'll know. Jesus has the authority to raise the dead to life. Here he's referencing the work that he's going to do when he raises Lazarus from the dead and brings others to life from the dead, that this will be a sign that he is indeed God in the flesh. It's coming. But it's also his own raising from the dead, his resurrection from the grave. Those who receive spiritual life from death and ultimately he says in verse 28, for an hour is coming when all those who are in tombs will hear his voice. Church, we celebrate Christmas because Jesus has been given the power to raise us from the dead. And I'm just telling you, whether you minimize packages or load them up is not as important is that when you're partnering in whatever your activity is that you are recalling and doing whatever it is that you do because your life is forever different because of Christmas. The fourth reason that we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus has the authority to be the final judge of the world. Since the function of ultimate judge has always been seen at this point as God, 
This is another clear statement of Jesus saying, I and the Father are one. I am God. He is the judge of the universe and he has appointed me judge. There's no mincing words here, church. Hey, little ones, so six on up, you go to college to be salt and light regardless of where you go. You have friends that you're bouncing around with that maybe they didn't grow up in a Christian home. At some point in time, you will hear that Jesus wasn't really God. I'm telling you, this passage should strengthen you to say, yes, he was. And my life has changed because of that. Adults, if you don't know the Bible very well, or if you haven't been around church very long, or maybe you just aren't as steeped in Scripture as you're going to be, or you want to be, and if somebody faces you with the thought that Jesus wasn't really God, and they knock on your door, and they want to sit down and talk with you, and Jesus was a God, but no, it couldn't be more clear. We anchor our souls here, church, in the things that Jesus has said to us. And because Jesus is both God and man, because Jesus is both God and man, He is the perfect and most fitting judge for us. You with me? His judgment will be fair and perfectly just and not subject to unrighteous appeal. Acts chapter 17. He's not like sinful human rulers who at times judge unfairly in order to fulfill their own agenda because they're going to get something from it. No. Jesus states, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but only the will of Him who sent me. John chapter 5. Verse 30, because of this, we we know that we have a fair judge, church. We don't don't show up at the end of our life and there's a switcheroo and we find out something different. The Son of God will transform a world full of injustice into a place of peace and safety. No more will the guilty go free. No more will sin be done and victims made and nobody's unpunished. No more. All of it gets punished. And the innocent will not suffer injustice. Psalm 37, 6. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. The fifth reason we celebrate Christmas, verse 23, is because Jesus has the right to be worshipped along with the Father. Verse 22, for the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. Verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And again, Jesus clearly establishing that he and the Father are one. Otherwise, he is not to be worshipped. 
And so that's just the same reason, like with the New City Catechism that we read today, we affirm, Jesus, you're worthy of worship. Some of the oldest Christian documents that we have, like the Nicene Creed, affirm Jesus' worthiness to be worshipped. And so we've done this several times as a church. The Nicene Creed, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things, visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father, before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. He's worthy to be worshipped. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Church, because we follow somebody who is worthy to be worshipped. That changes the way we engage this holiday, and I don't care what culture is doing. And finally, the sixth reason that we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus has invited us to hear and to believe and to receive life. Truly, truly, I say to to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. This is the purpose of the book of John. Here he is, the word, light, life, belief. Church, this ought to make us the most celebrant people on the face of the planet Earth. True? These truths, these realities ground us in the way we go about celebrating. Joyful, grateful, illuminating hope. Being salt, being light. Our conversations regularly, consistently pointing others to the hope that we have. We finished up our study in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Churches, we're around these holidays, Christmas time. We ought to be the most celebration people on the planet and our words constantly seasoned with the hope that we have within us. And so Peter says, in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is us, church. So we ought to be the most celebrant people on the planet earth. That's the first application for us. And the second application is, in whatever way you celebrate, do it with all your heart. And with a sound biblical mind. Steeped in the word of the Lord. 
So if you celebrate by minimizing or paring down or removing as many distractions as you can to give your full attention to Christ, then give your full attention to Christ, not what you're not doing. We had a sit-down family meeting and be like, hey guys, we're focused so much on what we're not doing that we're not focusing on Jesus. We have life. So let's not be hunkered down in what we're not about, but what we are about. And if you celebrate with lights and presents and gift giving and food and music and family... then do so without those things becoming the thing. Let your celebration be an overflow of your worship of Jesus, not the holiday itself. And so we ground our celebration in biblical reasons, in these six reasons that Christ himself gives us. Look at the reason for your hope. And church, sometimes when you're celebrating, it doesn't matter what you try to do. At some point in time, you're going to look on the outside like the world. doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. You hear me? So tone it down or turn it up. But whatever you do, Be salt, be light, exalt Christ, behold your king, celebrate. And then the third application for us is this. Whatever way you celebrate, rejoice in the way that other people celebrate, even when it's different than you. It's all right. Some of us will celebrate by paring it down. Some of us will celebrate by tuning it up. God's grace, we're celebrating together, church. How is nowhere near as important as who. And then the who drives the how, yeah? Father, we want to be those who worship you in spirit and in truth. Jesus, thank you for coming to get us when we so desperately needed rescue. And you did that once and for all, and then you do it every day. Thank you for being light and Life and the word to us, not just when we came to know you at first, but yesterday and today. Jesus, you are worthy of our attention and our celebration, our enthusiastic celebration. And may we remember, church, why we celebrate. In Christ our King, amen. And I join you. I will join you, but I'm going to ask you to join me. Stand, and we're going to read just a reminder why 
do we celebrate Christmas? So this is on your handout. I'll read the bold and then we'll read together. Why do we celebrate Christmas? What was our condition without a Christmas? Join me. We were wandering about an aimless condition, slaves to our own way of thinking, no ability nor reason to say no to ourselves or our sin, no bigger vision than our own limited perspective. We had no ability to seek God, no capacity to make decisions without thinking about ourselves or to make wrong relationships right. Everything we did, we were at the center. We were dead in our sins. We were willful enemies of God and entrenched in our ways. We were without direction, purpose, or hope. What did God the Father do to rescue us? In the most loving, gracious, and humble act, He entered our world, becoming one of us to rescue all of us. He stepped from His vast eternal dwelling into our confined atmosphere of time and space, It was as if the whole world was created all over again. When he stepped, the spiritual world erupted to life. Death was broken, light penetrated, kingdom planted, the very word of God compressed into molecular structure, and human form was laid in a cave with animals for all of us. Angels perplexed, pondered, and sang. Shepherds ran. Kings gathered gifts. A father humbled. And a young mother pondered all of this in her heart. The dawn of God, the eve of Jesus, the mass of Christ, Christ mass, Merry Christmas, joyful Christmas, rescue has arrived, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Why do we celebrate Christmas? We celebrate Christmas because at this eve of Jesus, all spiritual life has found its source. We have light to see, life to obtain, and a word to guide us. Christmas is when our debt received its down payment. Freedom came off the starting blocks. Our direction was oriented, our salvation given a name, and our kingdom home inaugurated. We celebrate Christmas because our faith has an object, King Jesus. Our life has a center, King Jesus. Our obedience has a purpose, King Jesus. Our hope has a reason, King Jesus. Our relationships have direction. King Jesus. Our friends, sorry, our freedom has a name. King Jesus. Our life has a meaning. King Jesus. We celebrate Christmas because He is good, creative, deep, wise, loving, just, patient, kind, compassionate, and love. We celebrate because He is all good, all the time, concentrated into one person who humbly turns his face toward us in welcome. We celebrate Christmas to put his attributes on display, declare his glory to our family, our church, our friends, our enemies, our neighbors, and to the world. We celebrate Christmas because he is worth it, because he deserves our adoration and praise, and because we are joyful givers, small images of the original joyful giver. Christmas, the dawn of God, the eve of Jesus, the mass of Christ, Christmas. Merry Christmas, joyful Christmas. Rescue has arrived, and his name is Jesus. Amen.